Welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast from Core to Ed Independent Medical Education. In this episode, you will hear from primary biliary cholangitis experts from the worlds of patient advocacy, Robert Mitchell Fain of the PBC Foundation and specialist nursing, Kath Houghton of Newcastle upon Tyne Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. Robert and Kath will discuss the latest data on PBC from ESL 2023. This podcast is an initiative of Core to Add and is supported by an independent educational grant from Ibsen. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts and they do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations. For disclosure of any conflicts of interest, please visit the Core to Add website. Hello. Welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today to discuss the PPC highlights from ESL 2023. My name is Robert Mitchell Thane. I'm the CEO of the PBC Foundation. Hi, thanks, Robert, and I'm Kath Horton. I work as a nurse specialist with PBC patients in Newcastle and also do some research as well. And I think we're here to just go over a couple of abstracts that we chose to highlight. So... If we move to our next section, this is an abstract from a Glimmer trial looking at a new drug, Linerixabat, which is to treat itch in people. So they used to test the itch on people. They used the tool, as we call them tools, which is a questionnaire called the EQ5D. And they wanted to try and understand the relationship between severe itch and poor quality of life and leading to depression often in people. And we know how devastating pruritus can be or itch for people with PBC. And they wanted to just sort of have a look at why this affects people so badly. So talking about the method, I think they used past questionnaires, the EQ5D measures, just to try and understand this relationship through a study called Glimmer which was placebo-controlled, and using mostly female patients, about 150 aged, averagely around 55, who were on this new drug. Now, the scores at baseline show that over 60% of the patients had severe itch, and they also showed severe sleep disturbance. And about a third of these patients showing higher incidence of severe itch also suffered with depression, unsurprisingly. And even patients with mild to moderate itch, they also had depression in over 80% of patients reporting that mild to moderate itch. Thanks, Kath. I think you've, you've hit the, the key parts of this right here in this poster in terms of itch being more than itch. It has implications for health-related quality of life in terms of severe sleep interference and depression. And again, this highlights not only the patient experience, it highlights the acknowledgement by researchers and healthcare clinicians of patients' quality of life and the consequences of that. And again, it also highlights the work that's going on in the background to address this for patients. Yeah, I agree. I think more importantly, they're suggesting that physicians treating patients with itch need to be a lot more vigilant and appreciate the effects of itch on people's lives. So, you know, maybe treat a bit more aggressively and understand 
how they can suffer otherwise with it as well. Now, those are important points, so so thank you for raising those. And I think if we move on to the second post that we wanted to highlight, and again, there are three parts to PVC. There are the liver tests themselves, there is the symptom burden on a daily basis, and then there is the, the histological changes and damage that, that goes on. And I think this second poster raises some really, really important points in terms of the correlation between the symptom burden in people living with primary bilirubin and cholangitis and the fact that that does not associate with transient elastography measures. This poster was from the Wednesday, so it was Wednesday number 310, and the lead author was Huri. Essentially, what they're saying is, like Robert said, symptoms and biomarkers and worsening PBC, biological PBC, do not correlate. So they've done this by using elastography. So that is a measure of liver stiffness. So liver stiffness is a measure of scarring in the liver. And with increasing scarring, the liver stiffness increases, which shows increasing liver damage. So they've done this looking at over a two-year period using PBC-40s to sort of highlight people who are symptomatic and then looking at their liver stiffness reports. And essentially, it shows that there is no correlation between the two. So people's blood tests and symptoms don't correlate. They don't, it doesn't mean that their PBC is worse because of it. And people often worry about this symptomatic and especially if they're quite new and they think does this mean my disease is worse and I'm progressing and obviously this is a nice abstract to show just to reassure people that it doesn't. You're absolutely right I think this abstract has two main focus points in terms of the the power of the data and again this is over 200 patients that are involved. So the first one is reinforcement to clinicians that actually Both aspects of PVC need to be explored and treated, but also reassurance to patients themselves who may experience a decrease in their quality of life because maybe the symptoms have got worse for a particular period of time and they're concerned that their disease is progressing. And this paper, again, is just one of the the tools we can use to reassure patients at that point of their journey. Yeah, I agree. The only caveat was that it did look like patients who suffered with itch did have a higher elastography score. So there is some correlation there. But we do know, or we think, that people who suffer with itch quite badly have more damage to their bile ducts and are more difficult patients to treat. So there is that small association. If you're happy to move on to our next poster, again, so this was from the Thursday now. So it's ID Thursday 324. And this was evaluating pruritus and fatigue in patients with treatment refractory primary biliary cholangitis. Again, another really important piece because this is looking again at patient quality of life overall and not just where we are in terms of liver biochemistry. Yeah, I think this is a really important study because it's looking at the to, as I say, the tools or the questionnaires that we use to assess people's itch, quality of life, fatigue scores, etc. And whether they just wanted to validate them to say they are, they give us a true reflection. So they're using 
the NRS itch score, the promise fatigue score, and the objective was to gather evidence, like I say, regarding the content validity of these tools and whether it captured the perspectives of patients with PVC clearly and was of use so that they were able to measure and report these experiences correctly, really. So they, they had 20 adult patients with PVC and pruritus, and they were interviewed over the phone initially and consented. They'd all been diagnosed at least five years and reported symptoms of itch. The majority of mild to moderate and some severe. And obviously they were asked to evaluate the questionnaires. So what they wanted to know was, were they easy to understand? Were they easy to use? And the appropriateness of the recall period. So for instance, how has your itch been in the last four weeks or if it's six weeks? Was that appropriate? Or, you know, they wouldn't want to ask over too long a period. And they also asked them to describe the amount of change in the current rating, how much change would be meaningful to the benefits. In other words, if their itch got worse or better, how many points up or down would it need to go before it was very noticeable for the patients? So for the tools, the NRS itch score, they were happy with it. Almost 60% thought at least a three-point change would show meaningful improvement, but only one or two-point change would show noticeable worsening, which is quite interesting. And almost 80% of patients thought the recall was appropriate, so that was good. And the fatigue tool promise, almost 70% of patients said that only a one-point change would show both meaningful improvement and worsening, so that's slightly different. 100% said it was easy to use and around 80% said the recall was appropriate. So it's important that these tools are validated and assessed because they are used a lot in research. And when you are doing a trial, placebo-controlled trial, you do want to be sure you're getting a true reflection of people's symptoms And that then if there is, of course, we don't know whether they're on placebo or active ingredients. So we need to know that these tools will show us improvement or not, depending on which drug they are. So it's completely unbiased. But I think it's it's really important that they're validated and it shows that they actually do work well. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's important that we have tools that are validated, but also tools that are patient-centric, patient-friendly, easy to understand, and are not placing additional burden on the patients that are being asked to to use them. And and so again, another really important piece of work that says that we have good tools that make a difference and are not adding to patient burden, which is fantastic. So if you're happy to move on to the next one, I think we wanted to highlight this one just to show, you know, PVC is seen as a sort of a not very problematic disease. And for the most part, that's true. But for some patients, they do have problems responding to treatment. Even without problems responding to treatment, they can end up getting into trouble. So I think this next one is talks about the risk of death and liver transplant and hepatic decompensation, even in people whose ALK, FOS and BILI are, which are the two main markers 
we look out for with people who are regressing were within maybe just over the normal, upper limit of normal, but not so far above the upper limit of normal that we would worry. And yet they seem to go on to have problems. No, thanks, Kath. I think you've made really important points there. You know, Historically, within the guidelines, we've looked at the 1.67 times the upper limit of normal and that anything below that is, is good news. Now, let's bear in mind that the number of PVC patients who are leading to, to liver transplant or indeed death because of their PVC are becoming fewer and fewer. So the interventions are working, the, the medicines are working. But what do we look at in terms of the outfoss and Billy Rubin? Historically, it's been this 1.67 figure. And this poster highlights that anything above normal is associated with higher risk. Now, if you speak about higher risk as a clinician, that's an accepted part of medicine, if you will. We risk assess and then we make our decisions on that risk assessment. If you speak about higher risk to a patient, that becomes a lot more of a frightening proposition. So I think it's important to highlight in this post that whilst we are talking about higher risk, we are talking about relatively small numbers. But the risk is important enough that we as a community will hopefully look to action this as soon as is possible. Yeah, and I think I'm just flicking across there just to remind myself of this poster. And they looked at over 3,000 people, which I think is important, and followed their results, ALKFOS, Billy, ALT, AST, and Albumin. And and none of them had particularly high results, and yet some did go on to need liver transplant, which is quite surprising. So in conclusion to this, it looks like there is an increased risk of decompensation and transplant and even death at lower threshold levels for serum liver biochemical tests. And the risk of adverse liver outcomes is greater for patients who spend increasing amounts of time beyond the threshold for biometrics and composite scores. So in other words, those that are below the level for us to treat according to guidelines as they stand, with second-line therapies as they are licensed, but are not quite within normal levels. It seems they are just as an increased risk for some of them as anybody who is above the level for treating them on second-line therapy. You're absolutely right again, Kath. I think this is a really important message to the community where we need to take this data and look at our practice and see how we can improve upon this in the future. Yeah, and I think that was the point they made to, you know, for effective monitoring, I think closer monitoring of these people and potentially trying to make second line therapies available for these people to push that a little bit, to make them available sooner rather than let them get into trouble. So we've looked at Wednesday, we've looked at Thursday. Now, Friday's session gave us some really interesting glimpses into the future of PVC and we thought we'd share a couple of highlights. Now, I know that when we talk about Friday, so I'm going to talk about Friday 331, which I know that caught your eye, Kath. You want to share a couple of sentences why this looks so promising for you? Yeah, we did this in Newcastle. Well, actually, I say that it was also Cambridge and maybe Birmingham. There were other sites that contributed. So this was looking at serum biomarkers from a cohort of patients that had given samples for research and for future research. 
So this was looked at and what came out of it was two markers. So the EEL-6 marker was raised in all of the patients who suffered with fatigue, who reported high levels of fatigue, and they weren't in other patients. And also the EEL-4, they looked at 20 biomarkers, compared them to symptoms, and they also compared this to healthy volunteers. So the EEL-6 with clinically significant fatigue, and interestingly, the EEL-4RA receptor agonist that was persistently raised in people with itch. So obviously there needs to be more research into this, but it is a potential new research trial to look at those levels and to see if we can identify more easily that biomarker and find a drug to target it. I think they are using one of the MABs in another area for people with raised EL4. So whether it'll be that, I don't know, but it is an area that it looks like we can do more research into to potentially find a drug to target this and maybe help people with fatigue in the future. So I thought that was quite exciting. And then there's one more that also caught our eye, which is a study looking at a drug called Golexanolone. Now that caught my eye because we're about to start a trial in this country targeting people with fatigue. So this is only being tested in the lab, in lab rats so far. These rats had their liver bile ducts surgically ligated, so they were sort of cut, which gave them the effect of not working properly and so minimizing the bile flow, which we suspect and know causes fatigue. They essentially created PBC in the lab rats and then could see that they were fatigued and they tested that using a treadmill and cognitive problems, which they tested using, I think they call it a Y run, so that they have to remember where they're going. With fatigue and cognitive problems sort of brought on in a lab setting, they weren't able to do these things. They then introduced golexanolone, the drug, And it did improve both their fatigue and their cognition, which again is really exciting. So I look forward to seeing this working in practice. Of course, it'll be placebo control, which it has to be. So it's unbiased and we can prove that it actually is working. But I just think it's another one to watch out for. Again, you're right. This this is absolutely huge. We've been looking at disease progression for many years and now started to look at other symptoms such as itch. And I think that the fatigue and the cognitive function that goes with that is the next big thing that we need to address now. So to, to see the science out there being shared, being talked about is absolutely vital and it gives us a hope for the future. So, yes, thank you. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So speaking of the future, where do we go from here? So we talked long and hard about which posters to include, which ones not to include. I mean, there were so many points of interest. So given what we've shared today and what we weren't able to include, what would be your key take-home message, really? So what I was so pleased to see in Easel this year was so much talk about the symptom burden, so much more acknowledgement about the effects of the symptom burden on people who struggle. Fatigue has always been nearly impossible. 
but we are finding ways to to try and improve that brain fog or the cognition as well and itch. And I was so pleased to see so many more people talking about this, acknowledging it's a huge problem and acknowledging that we need to help these people and trying to find ways to solve it. That was my big take home and it made me happy to see it. You're absolutely right. From the, the science to the disease progression treatments, the discussions around symptom burden, I think the key message for me is that normal is the new normal. This is where we're pushing. This is where we're going towards. And I think it's absolutely vital for the clinicians and scientists to acknowledge that and to aspire to that, obviously, you know, within the caveat of personalized medicine. And I think it's important for patients to know that this is a direction of travel and this is where all the hard work is pushing towards. And so I think that's the great message for me. It is. It's great. And in the last even couple of years, we've learned so much more about PVC and it's changing. People's attitudes are changing. And I think the UK PVC audit might have helped to wake people up a little bit as well. But you're right. Normal is the new normal, not above normal. And you're okay sitting there. We need them below, within the normal limits. And we're learning that more and more. So that it's really good to see. Kath, thank you so much. We've been working at this all week at Easel. It's been a pleasure to work with you. Anyone who's been listening today, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely. Thank you, Robert. Likewise, I enjoyed the meeting and thank you for anybody who might listen to this. I hope you might find it of use. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you found this podcast episode enjoyable and informative. If you liked this episode, please look on the Core to Add Medical Education channel for more. In particular, look out for the other episode in this series, where internationally renowned hepatologist Dr. Emma Culver of the John Radcliffe Hospital and University of Oxford and Professor Gideon Hirschfield of the University of Toronto explore the current data on PBC presented at ESL 2023 from the physician's viewpoint as well as two other podcast episodes from last year detailing the highlights of the ILC conference with Professor Gideon Hirschfield and Professor Anna Yeo, as well as Professor Chris Cowardly and Professor Jörn Schattenberg. Also, don't forget to rate this episode on your podcast platform or the Courtyard website and share our podcast on social media or with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and see you next time.